Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Cat. Episode number 209, recorded July 12th, 2015. So we're taking a step back from what we've been doing. We've been doing Wildstorm and IDW and now we're going to go back to DC's first stab at Star Trek with Star Trek issues number one through three. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely we were progressing forward in time and now we're taking a big step backward. Right. So a lot of people asked why we didn't do this one before we did volume two of Star Trek. And the, the main reason why we did that was because we wanted to be able to jump from Star Trek to Star Trek The Next Generation to Deep Space Nine. So that's why we decided to do our 90s run where we kind of covered the DC Volume 2 stuff and the Malibu stuff all at the same time. Yeah. So uh, now we're just going back to doing this one. Exactly. And so how many issues about in Volume 1? Uh, 50-something. Wow. Okay, so that was a good run. Right. Yeah. yeah. As of right now, it's the longest run of the longest continuous run of a Star Trek comic book with the Star Trek ongoing about to hit issue number 50 more than likely it'll pass it but right oh they better that's yeah, what I, I say I hope they I'm don't enjoying cancel it. it I'm really enjoying the ongoing oh yeah although I really look forward to <laughs> the next movie it's going to be very interesting right a lot of different people involved it's still bad robot productions and things like that but still a lot of different people in the mix. Yeah, I didn't know this, but Simon Pegg's in the new Star Wars movie. I read that. I read that. It was He's an alien or something, right? Right, yeah, he's in a big suit. But uh, the, at the Comic-Con, uh, they just showed some footage, and Simon Pegg's in it quite a bit, just talking about how he's oh. in heaven because he's in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> and every time he said it, I was like, you are already in a Star Trek movie. Right. How, how lucky can a guy get? Exactly. He's both. popping up in all kinds of things. He's in the Mission Impossible movies. The guy's getting a lot of work. Yeah, he's kind of their go-to guy now. Yeah. So, we'll see how spot-on his writing skills are in the next Star Trek film. So. Yeah, I'm um, a little, little concerned so, about that. So you can recognize his his face in the costume, or it's just his voice you recognize? Oh, no, it's, Star Wars it's, it's his face. Because at first, he's not wearing a costume at all, and then in another shot... He has the body part on, and he's holding the mask. It's like a big, giant alien. So oh, okay. In the movie, I don't think you're going to be able to tell it to him at all. But, oh, okay. Uh, but you don't see him in full getup? Not not with the head on. You can tell that they've taken the head off. Ah, interesting. So they want to give it all away. Right. Okay. Cool. So. Oh, but back so to anywho. this comic. Yeah, so uh, this this, for me, this series is... You know, started in 1984. I really got into Star Trek in the late 80s, so this was my gateway into Star Trek comics. Interesting. So this is where it all started. Right. For you. For me. Yeah. And I remember, you know, know, being a seven, eight-year-old kid, whatever I was, 
going to the comic book store, and they had Star Trek issue number one, the one that we're about to read. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, the very first one. Buying it, rushing home, reading it, thinking that I just got a, a gold mine. You know, this is number <laughs> one. The very first Star Trek comic ever. It's number one. Uh-huh. And then finding out much later that uh, it's really the third number one. Yeah. <laughs> and I probably overpaid for it. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, Oh, so it was. So you got into it in the late '80s. So yeah, this was okay. done in 1984, February. Right. So it was a. So it was a few issue. years old. Okay. Yeah. So you paid a little extra, a little. Right. A little extra sugar to be able to get that. All right. Exactly for what I thought was going to be great, and then I remember I didn't have issue number two, so I'm reading it, and then, as you're about to know, it cliffhangs into issue number two, and then. I don't have enough money to buy an issue number two because it costs so dang much. Oh, boy. Mm, that's too bad. <laughs> uh, so, so this one... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and this one even goes beyond the third. So this is at least a four-part or maybe more. Maybe more. I don't I don't know how far it goes. I don't know if I've even read these. So. Yeah. So, so anyways, it's good. It's based right after Star Trek Two. So, uh, you know, because this came out before there was a Star Trek Three. So Spock's dead. And you're in that continuity, and uh, mm-hmm. they, they're doing a good job telling some stories that you may not have known happened in between those two movies. Yeah, and with the different people, it's got a different dynamic without Nimoy, without Spock. Spock. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So Savick's in there, and seeing how that works out is quite interesting. Right, and they've... Uh, one of the things, one of the reasons why they discontinued this series and they rebooted it was I, I've heard that Paramount didn't like all the secondary characters and the secondary storylines, that they mm-hmm. thought that a Star Trek comic should only be about the core characters that they've introduced in the movies and TV show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of these characters, and, and we'll get a lot more secondary characters towards the end, they were, you know, they were telling whole issues about them and Kirk might not even be in an issue, you know, because he didn't have much going on. And uh, I think that was part of the reason why they decided to hit the old reboot button. Mm. Mm. So, I don't know. I'm curious to see how your your take is on on some of these uh, secondary characters they come up with. Right. Cool. So, shall we jump in? Yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. So, I get to do issue number one. This came out February of 1984, entitled The Wormhole Connection. The writer was Mike W. Barr. Uh, artists were Tom Sutton and Richard Villagrin. Letterer John Costanza. Colorist Michelle Wolfman. And editor is Marv Wolfman. So the cover shows the bridge crew of the Enterprise uh, just after the events of Star Trek II. So we see Savick and Sulu at the foreground. We see Chekhov, McCoy, Scotty, and Ahura towards the back. And then we have a seated Kirk in the command chair. Behind all of them is the uh, forward portion of the Enterprise with a beam of blue light radiating from the deflector dish bathing Kirk's head in almost a halo effect. And then the headline up at the top says, First Star Spanning Collector's Issue. So the story starts near the Klingon border. The USS 
Gallant is ruthlessly attacked and destroyed by Klingon ships. One particular Klingon seems remorseful about the attack, but dares not speak out against his captain and the rest of the crew. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Kirk talks to Admiral Stephen Turner, requesting that he himself be assigned command of the Enterprise after Captain Spock's death. Turner agrees, and the Enterprise crew is well pleased when Kirk informs them of the good news. The Enterprise's first mission is to investigate the neutral zone. It is not mentioned in the dialogue, but logic would lead you to believe that they are investigating the destruction of the USS Galliant. Speaking of the Galliant, two new crew members on the Enterprise get into a fist fight based on who their fathers are, or in this case, were. Ensign Bearclaw blames Ensign Bryce for his father's death since her father was the captain of the Galliant. The two... The two fight, and it spills out of the hallway right into Kirk. Kirk berates the two combatants along with everyone else who watched the fight. Kirk makes his way to the bridge just as the ship exits warp. They find nothing of interest. Meanwhile, on a Klingon ship nearby, the Klingons are watching and readying for a surprise attack. The reluctant Klingon from earlier tries to send a warning to the Enterprise, hoping to avoid the all-out destruction of this ship. The Klingon captain orders the attack to start. While on the Enterprise, Savick informs the captain that four Klingon ships are appearing out of nowhere. Kirk barely has time to raise shields before they are pounded by the attacking vessels. Kirk notices a pattern and puts the ship at great danger by dropping their own shields at various times and firing photon torpedoes at, uh, along with that. As dangerous as his tactic is, it works and takes out a few of the Klingon ships. The remaining ships vanish as quickly as they appeared. Kirk berates Savick for not being as good as Spock and tells her that she needs to be better. While the ship is recouping from the attack, Savick talks to McCoy, who then in turn talks to Kirk about how Savick is not able to compare to Spock's decades of experience, and it's not fair for her to be criticized for not being as good as Spock. Kirk does not want to hear it from the doctor, but he agrees that he might be right. Later, the main staff are discussing the recent events. Savick shares the interesting readings she received just before the attack. This is the message that the Klingon secretly sent. Scotty recognizes the data as being that of a wormhole. It seems that the Klingons are able to stabilize a wormhole to perform their hit-and-run tactics. They devise a plan to have a shuttle open the wormhole while two crewmen beam over to whatever is on the other side. Savick volunteers to pilot the shuttle. Kirk refuses to let her. Instead, he says that she's being ordered to do it. Kirk states that he and Ensign Bryce will be the ones that beam over through the wormhole. Later, the preparations are set and everything is working according to plan. Kirk and Bryce in full EV suits find themselves floating in space looking at a huge Klingon space station. To be continued. So what the heck's the deal? At the end of this issue, I was just, I was just thinking to myself, they're just going across there in spacesuits. That seems like a very reckless game plan. Blindly beaming over. Exactly. They don't know what right. they're going to see, but... <laughs> <laughs> Bear, unarmed... Well, they got phasers on them, but that's not going to help much when you've got Klingon cruisers likely on the other side. Right. 
and then they find a stinking space station. I don't know. I just I just don't think it was very wise. <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't make sense to point. me either. I, I wasn't following what exactly the what exactly the the shuttle and the the beaming was was going to do. Right. Okay. And of course, it's all part of an elaborate Kirk plan, as you come to find out. But it's it's like one of those uh, Mission Impossible things. It's like, how could they possibly have known all this was going to transpire, so that they were going to do what they were going to do? <laughs> it's like, okay. But yeah. Well, we'll see if it works out for them. Uh, we don't want to spoil anything. No. no. But this might be the last Kirk issue. You never know. You never. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. Of course, Bryce, who knows, because she's a new th- a new player. She could end up getting knocked off. You'd never know um, at this point. She is wearing a red shirt, but so is all of them. So. Ooh. Hmm. <laughs> so the design of the USS Gallant, I thought, was very interesting. Very atypical. It Didn't looks you? almost like uh, the NX-01 or Voyager a little bit in its design that the the engineering and the saucer sections kind of all one piece. True. That that's a good point. And it really looks different depending upon which angle you look at it, and I don't know whether that was a mistake or by by design. But when you first see it, it looks like it has no saucer section flat out. I mean, it, it's got two nacelles in the back, it's got two pylons going into an engineering section, and then it has rather a tall engineering section, but not overly long, and then there appears to be no saucer section, because you're seeing it from a profile. So it's like, wow, this is weird, it looks almost like uh, the Enterprise D with the saucer section detached, but, I mean, that's what it looks like. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Then later, there's a scene where you're seeing it from above, and in actuality, it looks like it's got almost like a horseshoe kind of thing coming around the outside to kind of form a saucer section, but I did not see that at all from the profile. Well, it didn't contradict the profile picture for me. I thought, uh, I mean, yes, you can't tell the detail of what's what's coming towards you or away from you in, in, in a perfect profile. Right. But uh, but when you saw it from above, it, the dimensions make sense to me, so I I didn't have a problem with it. Okay. Well, I'm not going to belabor I, the point, but yeah. when I look, into, look at the two pictures and try to compare them, I can't reconcile them 100%. But, so, I'm, I'm probably just missing something. But uh, I thought seeing it from the side view, when I, which is the first frame, um, of the comic for its panel, I thought it looked pretty, pretty different, pretty cool. I, I kind of enjoyed it because it was just so different. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. Of course, it, you didn't get to see it much or for very long. Kaboom! Doesn't doesn't uh, last too long. No. Or actually, I should I should have said Krakoom. That's uh, the sound. Yes, effects. that would be the appropriate. Uh, yes, I'm I'm actually reading effect. all the letters. Krakoom! So, so, when Kirk goes on his first mission as captain, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't say that they're there to explore the wreckage or, or anything. It's just they're going to the neutral zone. Or did I miss something? Well, I thought they were going there because of the attack, but I don't remember them doing a lot of um, investigation work. 
well, they don't have a lot of time because they get attacked no. pretty quick. But exactly, exactly. What are you saying then? I'm saying that uh, that you just got to assume that that's what they're there for. Because in his captain's log, he just says they're going to the neutral zone as their first mission. It doesn't say why they're going. Oh, huh. you just have to assume that right. well, it makes sense that the first ship did launch a buoy, so they must know. Yep. That they're destroyed. Plus, Bearclaw and Bryce have that fight, so they must know that their yeah. fathers are dead. So. Right. I don't know. Maybe I don't. Well, maybe I, I, I just want them to assume. Yeah. Well, yeah. You got to assume it. Because you're right. They don't go into a lot of details. Right. But again, it's kind of like, you know, things are happening here that they're not necessarily showing you. Like. Kirk when he had the plan to <laughs> go over in spacesuits. Obviously he discussed that plan with Savik before she left in the shuttle and we're not privy to that discussion, obviously. Right. So And and I think I might have made a mistake in the synopsis cuz Ensign Bearclaw is a man, Ensign yeah. Bryce woman. Yes. So Bearclaw just says, "Hey, did you say your name was Bryce?" Uh, you know, my name was my name's Bearclaw, and and then he just smacks her across the face. My father died because your father didn't do his job. Right. And then she kicks him, saying, "Well, in case you don't know, my father died there too." Yeah. But so when I was reading that part, I was thinking, "Oh, Bryce, Bryce's father must have been the captain." But I don't think that's the case. I think Bearclaw's father was the captain. So. Well, was think, uh, was Bryce's father an an underling? that somehow he got the idea that they didn't do his job, that the captain gave the order. Right. But I think think you're right. because I think uh, he was the science officer, and I guess he didn't see the the Klingons popping out of the wormhole. Oh, come on. That's the only thing I can think of, since he is the science officer, and Bearclaw is convinced that it's his fault. Okay, but first off, I don't think it's a science officer's job to, to man incoming ship monitoring I mean I think that's probably somebody else's job not necessarily the science officer because that's agreed it that should would be, be a, a defensive kind of exactly right. something like that the the security guys whatever not necessarily the science officer even though the science officers on, on the sensors all the time but still I don't know it was a little bit it a little bit mucked and mired and right. I, boy that bear claw was a jerk wasn't he he just hits her right across the face doesn't even I mean she's a little girl I mean yeah. Oh yeah, um, and, and, she... and the the dialogue is just so funny. Yeah. Hey, my your last name's Bryce. Was your dad on the uh, Galleon? Yes. Smack mine yeah. too, and he's dead. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and a sucker punch kind of thing. Kind right. of like you know, don't it, it, she's half your weight, but yeah, you go ahead and do that, jerk. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, well, but I mean, obviously, Bear Claw's there for you to hate, and you will come to hate him as we go to other issues. <laughs> you will come to hate him even more. Anyway. Yes. All right. So I, I was just confused on the on why he hated her because to, to me I think Bryce has the bigger beef against against oh, yeah. him. I think Ultimate, I would blame the yeah. captain. Ultimately, it's the captain who's responsible. But in that case, obviously, it was a sneak attack. Sure. There's nothing anybody could have done. No. But kind of the same way Wesley, you know may have always kind of blamed Picard for his own father's death. Yeah. As so. Picard, to some degree, blamed himself. Right. So, anyway. 
So reading this book, I forgot how cool the uh, Klingon makeup was in the first uh, couple of movies, or at least Star Trek The Motion Picture. I, I like this version of the, the Klingon Klingons. makeup. Where they have more of like just a, like like as if their spinal cord bumps come all the way across their head. Kind right. of like more than the the big turtle shell on their head. <laughs> which we get later. Yeah, definitely it was refreshing seeing the design that was different from what we got used to, definitely with Worf and everything and next gen. But I, I really didn't remember the exact details that were different. But I'll just notice that it was indeed the look was different. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we've said this before. And I mean, every single Star Trek original series movie, the Klingons have different makeup. I mean, like the motion picture had this one where the spines kind of went all the way back behind their head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had the Star Trek Three, which is pretty close to what we get in Next Generation. But then by Star Trek Six, it changes quite a bit. So. Because Chang looks completely different than any other Klingon we'd seen before. Right. So yep. I just think it's funny that people are always harping on bumpy head versus smooth skin, but there's there was so a many more... different variations of bumpy heads, <laughs> exactly. too. Exactly. Good point. Okay, so the Klingons look different all the time. In this comic, the D7 cruisers look different. I mean, it's still the same basic configuration, but they look different in this comic. And I don't remember seeing that particular design in any of the movies. So I was interested in why they would take such liberties. And that's not the only liberties, but I really noticed it in the uh, cruisers. Hmm. So the pylon, there are some, some shots where the pylons are like up and angled, almost like they were in uh, Into Darkness or... So, where they're articulating and they can move, uh, so the pylons for the engines, uh, there are a few in this one where where the pylons are quite angled in configurations I've never seen before in a Taws ship in the original uh, series or movies. Was it just the, the angle, the camera angle, or do no. you think that they were it really... was the angle of camera angle. Uh, no, <laughs> this is a comic book. But, I know, but you you know what I'm saying. Just I, like I know, yeah. the, the perspective of the ship, or you think the sh- that the pylons were really kind of upturned? I think they were upturned. Okay. So if you'll remember what a normal D7 would look like, and it looked that way... I mean, I, I think the D7 cruiser that they showed in the motion picture was not all that much different from the TV show. Uh, very subtle differences. But this one, the pylons basically come from the middle of the engineering section if you want to call it that they they go down so they come out without too much of a pitch and then the next part goes down with a much broader pitch and then that connects to the uh, engines these uh, it comes off of the quote engineering section goes up and then comes back down again with a bigger angle into the engines in only some of the panels some of the other panels, they draw it in a more of a traditional configuration. But there are some in here that are very uh, unusual. And I, I don't know why they did that. It's not mm. very accurate. Yeah. Unless they're just saying, hey, we want to, we, you know, Klingons have a different design here. But it's a design that we have not quite seen in any of the movies. 
Yeah, I, I didn't pick up on that. The only thing I picked up on is that a lot of times the, the Klingon ships lacked a lot of detail. They looked that's really true. smooth. Yeah, that's uh, true. But I didn't notice the anything different about the the pylons. Yeah, pylons were odd. In some, in some other panels, they look normal. Mm. Another thing is, for the shuttle bay cover, it almost like a clear angled windshield. Yep, it does. Which is odd. That that one's odd. No. Uh, Enterprise was never like that. So no. I just do, I just wonder why they did that. Uh, creative yeah, I don't know. That license. Weird. I yeah. don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, is there a shot in Star Trek Two where they're in the shuttle bay and the doors are open and you can see out into space and maybe they they just took that as it's always opened? I don't know. I don't remember. Well, I don't remember ju- them ever doing that. I don't remember that either. So I am saying that the artist is just being creative, which is fine. It's just. I don't see a lot of precedences for some of the things they're doing. Right. Yeah, you just don't need that door open all the time. Well, but... Because they can I open mean, it, right? And then it has, like, a force field to keep the air in? I would certainly hope so, unless they depressurize the deck, which I don't think they do. Uh, well, I think they did in the old show, but I don't think they do that in the, in the movies. I think they're more sophisticated than that. Right. But what they're showing... I mean, they're, they're, in, they're going through warp... I mean, there's no shuttles coming in and out. Right. Yeah, uh, in so the battle, it, too, you can see yeah. it open. Well, is it open, or they're just drawing, like, some or kind of clear aluminum uh, transparent <laughs> cover? Aluminum. <laughs> transparent aluminum. <laughs> right, exactly. Transparent aluminum cover or something? I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, but it's just not right. Agreed. Agreed. It's just not right. Anyway. Minor detail. I like their creativity with the uh, gallant. So I thought that looked... I, I kind of liked that. Right. It was unexpected. Never saw a ship quite like it, but I kind of liked it. Anyway. Yeah, it's weird that we will eventually see ships that look like that in Deep Space Nine and stuff. And then, it, like I said, to me it looked a lot like the Enterprise, the NX-01, just with a horseshoe-shaped uh, nacelle, uh, saucer section. But we'll see some uh, in, some true Federation ships with this horseshoe-shaped saucer section, so... They're, well, but are you talking the about the you talking about the Enterprise E? You're talking about what? I'm talking about NX zero one has kind of the way the the, the engineering and the the shuttle uh, the way the engineering and the saucer section are kind of merged. Just uh, this one has the horseshoe shaped saucer section instead of just a completely well, round one. And I don't think it's so much as them being merged. I think it's more like you've got a saucer section. Then you've got two pylons coming back from the saucer section, going back and hooking up with the engines. And then your engineering section is that little pod, you know, between the engines. It's not very big. So that's your engineering section. Mm. So I kind of understand what you're saying, but I kind of think that this particular one looks a lot like it's got a huge engineering section and almost no saucer section. Anyway, but yeah, whatever. I liked it, I, and I thought that yeah. the, like I said, I, I think we see this horseshoe shape later. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool. Okay, so what's the deal with Kirk's syn- synchronized attack? It was so confusing. So you got like four ships or something like that around you. I think there were more than four, but... So their attack, they're alternating their attack between the forward and the aft shields, right? Right. And so... 
Kirk was able to beat four ships, four ships at least, maybe there were more, by saying, oh, recognizing the pattern and saying, oh, they're firing at our front first and then at our back and then at our front. So if we alternate the shields, we'll be able to better protect ourselves for longer. And I can see that being the case. But how all of a sudden were they able to pierce the Klingon shield so easily? I mean, the Klingons still have shields, right? I mean, they're, right. not, they're not Romulans using that deadly weapon where it takes so much, so much power that they need to drop the shields or something. Or no, the, uh, yeah, yeah. So that, you know, in uh, Balance of Terror, where for them to use their weapon, they had to drop their shields because they didn't have enough power. Right. Um, and stuff, and keep uh, the cloak up and stuff, and keep the cloak up and everything else. So, is that what they were doing here? I don't think so. I mean, they weren't using cloaking devices. It seemed like they were using normal phasers, or right. you know, it's like it just didn't make any sense. So, right? Know. Yeah, just, just, uh, yeah. The only thing I can think of is if they were saying that they had to drop their shields to attack, but they don't ever actually say that, and that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. They never had to before. The Enterprise certainly doesn't. Right. Which, of course, was always something you kind of wondered about. Just go with it. You know, <laughs> phasers can't come in and hit the ship because the shields are there. But shooting the phasers outward, that's okay. Like, okay. Because they just open up a tiny little hole. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe Perhaps. that's what they were saying here, too. That, and I Kirk was able to shoot the torpedoes right up into the... The, the hole, the tiny the little hole, hole that was going to shoot the airport torpedoes out. Maybe. Yeah, I don't Maybe. know. It, it's not explained, and it. And I just went with it. Just okay. It, it's Kirk well, magic. To. Keep going. Well, you had to. I mean, you had to. Right. So it's. Uh, I I don't remember Kirk ever having a deal where he was able to go against four enemy cruisers, but. You know. I don't know. Whatever. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing they survived that first attack, huh? Right. Otherwise, it would have been a very short series. Exactly. <laughs> so it was actually kind of aggressive, I thought, where after having survived, you know, barely survived this attack, and dealing some damage to the Klingons, that you're going to go on the offense, as opposed to like reporting back to Starfleet. Hey, right. you know, it definitely was the Klingons that destroyed the, the gallon. They just tried to do it to us, too, and these are the tactics. Right. No, you know, rather than reporting back and let people know about it, no, let's going to go ahead. We're going to go, we're going to go after them. It's like, ah! Anyway, whatever. Yeah, I would definitely start reporting the, uh, the wormhole maneuvering that they can do just in case it doesn't go well. Exactly. So, Good point. Whatever. It wouldn't have made it quite as exciting. So, were you happy to see uh, Dr. Chapel? Nurse Chapel? Oh, Dr. Chapel? Oh, um, I didn't really notice that much of her. I mean, she was there, but... She was mentioned by name. Well, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, that, exciting, exciting. Well, I don't well did, she, did she have any lines? Did she say anything? She said, of course. <laughs> and I could hear Michelle Barrett's voice when she said it. <laughs> <laughs> or was it the ship's computer? I sometimes get them confused. Hmm. Right. I just don't remember Dr. Chapel being on the Enterprise. Um, I think she was in the first movie, right? Or at least they mention her in the first movie. 
the motion picture, but I don't remember her being in yeah, the second movie, so I, I didn't think yeah. she was still on the on the ship. I didn't think she was either. Because why would you need two, making... two doctors on, on a training vessel, which is what the Enterprise was in Star Trek 2? Right. You wouldn't need it in general. Although I definitely think on a full mission kind of uh, deal, I think having two doctors is a really good idea, especially when the head doctor keeps beaming down to planets. Right. <laughs> well, you should have a whole team of doctors. Exactly. exactly. But you hardly ever saw them. So what, uh, Dr. Umbega or something like that popped up in, a, in an episode or two? Um, right. But har- you hardly ever saw another doctor. But right. Whatever. Only when the script needed it. Exactly. Okay, now there's something... Maybe you can clarify something for me. There's a part where Savik's under pressure to figure out what the heck's going on here. And then they're in a briefing thing. And then finally, Scotty says... Scotty recognizes an energy wave caused by a wormhole. And he says... Well, I I don't blame you for not being able to spot it, Savik. You know, it's a uh, it's a wave caused by a wormhole. I was like, wait a minute. So an engineer is gonna recognize a wave caused by a wormhole more than a science officer? It just didn't make any sense. And then you and then I know somehow the wimpy Klingon, the good Klingon, uh, was trying to signal us somehow. So. Was that him signaling us what Scotty picked up? Uh, I think so, yeah. That's the way okay. I think it. Because he okay, said but... that he hopes that they can interpret what he's doing. Well, I know, but I didn't interpret what Scotty said that way. I mean, he said it's a wave caused by a wormhole. So it right, sounded but... like it was just a natural thing, not some kind of artificially created uh, signal. But well, I was, th- I was, I took it that normally these ships can come in and out of the warp hole without any type of signal or any type of energy wave or whatever. But he did something that would uh, tip them off and, and leave a little bit of a footprint so that they could follow okay. them. That's okay. the way I took it. Okay, okay, but even then, why is it natural for the engineer to pick up on this and not the science officer? Because Scotty was in Star Trek The Motion Picture when, <laughs> when the Enterprise went through the wormhole and Savick wasn't. <sighs> and that's why Scotty remembers it, because he's like, oh, I remember when that meteor somehow put us in warp because we went in warp during the solar system. Uh-huh. Boy, that was confusing. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I'll, I'll go with that. But I just, I just thought it was BS. No, I, call, I, I agree. But. Right. It's just that we're used to Deep Space Nine and wormholes being common knowledge for everyone. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I guess, in Star Trek, the motion picture and in this comic, wormholes were still the unknown. They they weren't commonplace yet. Yeah, but who's more likely to know about something like that? Um, a I science officer you. or a ship's <laughs> engineer? I don't know. I am agreeing with you. Yeah, anyway. So I also thought that it was a little odd that uh, Savick went whining to McCoy uh, that she was being treated unfairly and, and blah, 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 because, you know, she's supposed to be emotionalist. This stuff's Kirk being a jerk is not supposed to be bothering her. Right. I know that she's supposed to be half Romulan, and they keep stressing that she's half Vulcan, but, but in Star Trek 2, they really stress that she's 
all Vulcan for the most part. You know, when she was the Christy Alley Savick. Sure. So I don't know. I, I don't I don't buy that she would be that upset about it and go talk to McCoy about why Kirk's being so mean to her. Yeah. That mean old captain. And I really don't see Kirk being that much of a jerk, quite frankly. I mean, he's dealt with... I mean, he's a very seasoned officer who's dealt with people for ages. So it's like, why is he all of a sudden that bad in dealing with a young officer? I don't get it. Because she reminds him of Spock, and he's still hurting. Oh, no, Kirk. (laughs) Anyway. Agreed. All right, and then uh, my last comment about the actual issue is I do find it funny that there's a space station on the other side of the wormhole kind of like in Deep Space Nine. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a very odd-looking space station. Well, you know what I tend to think of it as more? A weapons platform. Because if the main purpose of this thing is to aggressively take over a big chunk of the Federation, or at least a sector or something like that, you need a weapons platform. You know, more than a, you know, I got air quotes going, a space station. So, I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking of it more like an, you know, like a airplane carrier type thing, because it just shows a bunch yep. of ships being docked into it. Yep. And, these and are it big seems cruisers. to go on forever. <clears throat> yep. So, a base of operations kind of thing. Right. Perhaps. Yeah. So, anyways, just got a little bit of a Deep Space Nine vibe on that last page. Yeah, yeah. Warp sled. Yeah, Shuttle nice was put to on top of a warp sled. Okay, so which apparently is what Spock used in the motion picture. And it looks like a Vulcan warp sled. Is it supposed to be the same warp sled used in the motion picture? They just happen to have it laying around? Or no, that's something they've got? That's just what they use now. Oh, well, okay, this is the first or last time I've ever seen it. Well, no, uh, on a Federation ship. Because I thought right. that looked more like a Vulcan design kind of thing. Right. I think that's just the way... Therefore, a while, that's the way the Federation was, was doing things. They they thought having a shuttlecraft without warp capabilities was cheaper to make than than making them with. Which makes more sense, and then, man. And then you just put them on top of a warp sled. When they need to go to warp, right. Yeah, and it's interchangeable, which... so they can put it on any of them. It, it just makes sense. That sounds great. Too bad. Why, why didn't we see it more? <laughs> oh, because they got away with it by three. It was back to the normal... Space shuttles. Oh, okay. Come on, Ken. You can't have everything. <laughs> no, I just, I just, these questions come to me as I read it. If the Klingons can change their head styles every other movie, and the phasers can change every other movie, then yeah. the shuttle designs can change every other movie. Sounds good. Okay. Last thing I want to say is Klingon neutral zone. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know of the Romulan neutral zone. And they went on and on about the Romulan neutral zone in the original series. But I I don't remember the Klingon neutral zone. Now, mind you, it makes sense to have a, a neutral zone, a Klingon neutral zone. I just don't remember it. Um, I thought they, I thought it was, because it wasn't the Kobayashi Maru all based on the, the Kobayashi Maru being on the other side of the Klingon neutral zone? I don't remember. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, I, I, I just, well, I don't remember the Klingon neutral zone period, so. Okay, okay, so that was a thing. Okay. Uh, it's definitely a thing in the movies and Next Generation and everything after that. I don't know about the original series. 
Okay. For sure. I, I don't remember. I don't remember it then either. Hmm. But okay, it makes sense that there would be one. Right. I'm just saying, I'm I'm used to the Romulan neutral zone. But cool. Well, that's all I'd say about this one. All right. My last thing is more about the advertisements. I love going back to read these old comics and seeing old all toys? the old old advertisement for video games. Oh, video games. Okay. This, like Hubert. Yeah, Cubert, Dungeons and Dragons. We're seeing advertisements for like Intellivision, ColecoVision, Atari. I mean, this was this was uh, the video game boom right here. Yeah, true, true. Right, before before the uh, you know the implosion that happened in the the mid eighties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny about that, isn't it? I mean, uh, you thought that video games were going to be around forever, and then they took a little vacation and they came back with a vengeance. With a vengeance. With a vengeance. So, anyways, I just uh, I'm a fan of video games, so seeing all this retro stuff really, yeah, really got me to thinking about my childhood. Cool. All right, Very that's cool. it. You ready to move on? I am, but we don't have to. I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. So issue number two, uh, the wormhole connection. They call it chapter two inside the book. The only good Klingon. Dot, dot, dot. You know, it's a dead one. March 1994. Writer, I think everybody's the same. Uh, everybody's the same. I'm not going to list that off again. Okay. The cover shows Kirk in a red space suit holding onto the outside of a white spaceship that is not immediately recognizable to me anyway. Ahead of the ship, there are two more ships that appear to be firing either at the ship Kirk is climbing on or over the top of that ship. Hot orange font tells the reader that Kirk is fighting for his life aboard a Klingon warship. The issue picks up where the last one left off. Kirk and Ensign Bryce are in wormhole space above a massive Klingon space station with enough firepower to take over the sector of Federation space the Klingons have been raiding. Bryce has a little freakout episode that Kirk talks her down from. They use the thrusters in their suits to move towards the space station. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Scotty is working with the Enterprise's primary systems so that they are currently offline. Scotty says he is not sure when he will be able to get them back online. Sulu asks him to do his work as fast as he can. They can't take another Klingon attack while the ship is in this condition. The villainous Mr. Bearclaw, who was at the helm station, plots revenge on the Klingons and Bryce's father for the death of his father. Meanwhile, Savik emerges into the wormhole space. She reports to the Enterprise on an open comm that she can see the space station and will begin her reconnaissance of it. Sulu immediately recognizes she is hoping to draw the attention of the Klingon ships her way and away from Kirk and Bryce. Captain Koloth's ship docks with the space station, and he and his bridge officers beam over to the space station. The traitorous helmsman Kanam, the Klingon with a conscience, is accosted by Koloth. Kanam thinks Koloth now knows about his duplicity. Koloth enters the command center and takes his seat. A minion reports no activity on the Enterprise, and one of their shuttles have breached our space. Koloth orders the ship to be captured, 
and security on the station to be doubled in case the shuttle is a ruse. Yes, Koloth is no fool. Kirk and Bryce are able to slip into the station through an open door to let out shuttles that will try to capture Savik's shuttle. All is going according to Kirk's plans. The door closes, and the large hall they are in pressurizes. They remove their helmets just in time to be shot at by guards. Kirk takes on two, while Bryce finally shoots the others after some hesitancy. She turns and drops Kirk's two attackers. They dump their spacesuits in a storage space for retrieval later and continue on their mission. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise... Sulu is making a log entry, stating the engines are still offline. At the moment, they are no match for even one Klingon ship, let alone multiple ones. McCoy asks Sulu if he has received word from Jim. Sulu has not, but that is not surprising, since signaling them would give away the captain's location. Sulu asks for another update from Scotty. The response is not good, but Scotty offers that in a pinch he could rig up a double bypass to give Sulu partial phasers. Sulu takes that offer, but says to hold it in reserve until the Klingons return. Meanwhile, in wormhole space, Savik is evading her three Klingon pursuers and even getting some shots in at them. She uses the cloaking device installed on the shuttle and evades even longer. Eventually, she takes enough damage that she has to eject the warp sled that slams into one of the Klingon ships. The remaining two attack ships finally capture her shuttle and take it back to the space station. Meanwhile, in the space station, Kirk and Bryce are moving stealthily through the station when they are spotted. Luckily, it is the sympathetic Klingon who eventually accosts them in a room full of high-tech equipment. Kirk thinks some of this equipment is used to stabilize the wormhole. Kanam introduces himself and his motivations to help the humans. He is a pacifist Klingon and cannot stand the normal level of cruelty and killing. But now, with their ability to navigate via wormholes and this weapons platform, the Klingons will slaughter at a whole new level. Millions could die. Kirk and Bryce have their doubts, but they hope he is on the level. Having a Klingon as an ally on this ship would be incredibly helpful to their mission. Kadam agrees to take them to the wormhole stabilizer, but before they can leave, they come under heavy fire. Meanwhile, Savik is brought before Captain Koloff. When Koloff is told of the two Federation saboteurs found with Kanam, Koloff gets angry and draws attention to himself. Savik takes the opportunity to take out the nearest Klingon and escape with his gun. Meanwhile, Kirk and Bryce are returning fire while Kanam says the wormhole stabilizer device is very close. Kirk tells Bryce and Kanam to set the explosives while he holds off their attackers. The explosives are set, but they are pinned down by enemy fire. Kirk calls the Enterprise and orders a beam out and fast. Sulu says he cannot. There is some kind of jamming going on. Likely the Klingons doing Kirk calls Savik next. She says she is on the station coming to join them. Kirk tells her to go to the nearest transporter room. Savik does so and beams Kirk, Bryce, and Kanam out of the firefight and into the Klingon transporter room. 
From there, they all transport to the Enterprise. As Kirk suspected, the Klingon jamming is not affecting their transporters. As they step off the pad, Kirk asks McCoy to save Kanam, who was shot during the firefight. Kirk is back on the bridge, asking for phasers to be operational in 30 seconds. Meanwhile, the planted explosives detonate, and the space station and the Klingon cruisers fall out of wormhole space and back into normal space. Always the man of action, Kirk opens a channel to Koloth, telling him to give it up. It's all over. In response, Koloth says to Kirk, he thinks not. As you and your cursed Federation will soon find out. Despite the infinitely superior firepower at his command, Koloth self-destructs his space station that takes out the nearby cruisers and lights up the Enterprise bridge forward display for minutes. When it's all over, the Enterprise is quite alone. Kanam is patched up and resting in sickbay. Kirk wonders what Koloth meant when he said it was all over. It certainly was for him. Ohura tells Kirk they are receiving a very strong signal from the Klingon homeworld. It's Kalis the Fourth, Emperor of all Klingon, broadcasting throughout the known galaxy that the Klingon Empire declares war on the Federation of Planets. This war was brought about by the aggressive acts of Captain James T. Kirk and the Starship Enterprise. To be continued. So what's the name? Emperor Kalis the Fourth? Yes. Yes. What's the what what huh? Wait a minute. Okay. So in the next gen time frame, somebody clones Kalis or something, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember there being a Kalis in Taw's time frame. Oh uh, yeah. Or, or I I just don't remember that. There was that one episode where um Abraham Lincoln, Kalis, oh, that. and oh, all that. Them. But but yeah, that's when they no, established. That's, not the same thing. that's where they established who Kalis was. Now, even then, Kalis was the you know the father of Klingon society. So he right, you know he's he's basically Klingon Jesus, as I think I've, I've read it somewhere. Oh my, um, really? Yeah, <laughs> because originally they wanted Jesus to be the uh, human version, but. Uh, they decided to switch it to Abraham Lincoln when, when some people were uh, thinking that might not be the greatest idea. Wow, really? So the original, <laughs> so the original script had Christ in there. Wow. And Kate is teaming up. <laughs> oh my God. Oh wow, that's something. That would. Anyways, oh boy, that would have been that's something. That's where they established the the Kalis character, and and so I guess this comic's implying that emperors take Kalis's name. Um, if they all the choose. time. Oh, least, is, oh, is that what that is? Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. That's the I way I this guy that. was. I thought he was actually claiming to be Kalis or some descendant of Kalis or something. Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes more sense. I took it was just a title, just you know the name. His name happened to be Kalis, like you know how we have King Henry VIII or whatever. Yeah, just but yet another. But that was his Kalis. name. Okay, but. All right, Pope John Paul II. His name wasn't Pope John Paul. They take on the name of someone from the past and, and stick a number on it. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's the way I took it. But, again, who knows? It, he could be the third generation after the original Kalis. I don't know. Mm. But that wouldn't fit with what we know from the next generation. Right. Okay. Well, whatever. So, interesting that we would see 
such a plan. I mean, this is kind of a subtle plan. Very cunning for Klingons. I mean, Klingons are more in the mode of, hey, let's kill that over there, you know? <laughs> As opposed to starting to think a few steps ahead. So, Right, so you're saying it's uncharacteristic for Klingons. Completely. Interesting. I mean, we'll find out more in the next issue what's going on. Right. But it's at the... At, it doesn't add up because this is more like a Romulan thing. I mean, if, if, because really what they're doing here is they're saying, hey, this is all a setup. We're taking all these ships and a space station, which must cost a lot of money, and we're going to blow it all up because that's all part of the plan to achieve some ultimate goal. That's, that's not Klingon. That's, uh, no, no, that's not Klingon. Uh, do you agree? Uh, I agree. So, I mean, this, I mean, okay, so when this first was going on, and Kirk is saying, give up, it's all over, it's like, they got a space station. They got, like, eight cruisers, D7 cruisers involved in that space station. And you're going to tell them it's all over. Wow. <laughs> you, you got some cojones on you of brass, Kirk, because, no. You, you're in no position to do, to say any of that. Right. Uh, and then when when Koloth goes ahead and self-destructs the station, it's like, what? 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 He had all the, I mean, he had all the ships. And it's like, oh, oh, it's part of something bigger. Anyway, I thought that was pretty sophisticated. Well, that, do we know right now that it's something bigger, or do we, we don't know that yet? Well, hold on. Well, because the way they spin it here is that it was just, Klingon pride that they didn't want to lose. Now, why oh. they why they thought they were going to lose when they have a whole space station full of ships, I don't know. They could have blasted the Enterprise to bits. Agreed. Uh, and do they even know that the Enterprise has sent back any kind of proof of what's going on here? They don't know they have, and we don't know they have. I mean, it would have been a good idea, but... Yeah, that's why I'm saying. I think at this point you wouldn't know that they had something else planned. You would just think that they're really stupid and they blew themselves up because they thought they were going to lose. <laughs> but but then Kalis comes on almost immediately, almost immediately, after his space station and stuff is blown up and calling Kirk out by name. Right, right. I mean, that all... And, and, and how does uh, Koloth know that, oh... We're going to get you, Kirk, as you'll soon find out. He's going to blow himself up. I mean, mm -hmm. if that really was, like, just, oh, well, I guess you I guess you got us this time, Kirk. I'm going to blow myself up. It's like, <laughs> um, no. Anyway, it just doesn't add up. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't and, add up. And sorry, I mean, we, we'll, we'll learn something pretty important in the next issue. But... Because heading up to the end of this, it was like, oh my god, they can't possibly mean that Koloth is going to actually believe what Kirk says and blow up his space station. That can't possibly be that. It can't, they, can't, they can't take their, their audience that much for granted. And then it's like, oh, it's part of a bigger thing. Well, okay, so that makes sense. Okay. Right. Well, we'll find out next issue what, what it might be. Well, at but the end of, then, I don't at the end of this issue, what do you think? 
Uh, Are you at the know. end of this issue, what were you thinking? I was thinking that it was a setup, but I didn't know uh, why exactly. Well, well, I didn't know why exactly either. And 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 when we find when we get to the next issue, I think it explains a lot of things. Right. And then, anyway, I I don't want to talk about the next issue. <laughs> okay. It'll speak for itself. So and anyway, in the first two issues, I didn't. I didn't think all that much of the story, to be perfectly frank. Exactly how the whole worm, the whole thing worked, where they were able to pop in and out of wormhole space and stuff, just seemed weird. And and you can, the Enterprise can communicate into wormhole space through regular comms. Really? How does that work? I mean, yeah. there were just a lot of things that were like, just a little too convenient. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. But then when I found out, especially when I get to the third issue, that there's all kinds of things going on here, multi-layered things, I was a little bit more impressed with the writing. Right. I thought this one was good just for the... This one was an action. There was a lot of, you know, firefights in the corridors, and then there was a firefight in space. So uh, you just kind of went with it. (laughs) Turn your brain off and go. Just let it all wash over you. Right. They'll they'll explain (laughs) it to me later. (laughs) So, as far as the space battle go, I really liked the warp sled, Mm -hmm. shuttlecraft, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I liked all the the dogfights it was doing. But I hated the Klingon attack ships. They looked really not Klingon-y. I completely agree. I could not agree more. They, they yeah. look. I mean, they're white. I mean, that's kind of like Federation ships tend to be on the white side, not Klingon ships. Right, and they're just um, kind of triangular with this big, like a, uh, I don't know what kind of a exhaust engine or something on the top. I don't know what it is, but just this huge. Uh, is it supposed to be a nacelle? I don't know. Whatever I'm not that is sure on the top either. of the the ship. Yeah, well, it looks like this big big hood scoop. That's right. like sucking in air for a supercharger, but it's not an internal combustion engine, so I don't know what it's doing. <laughs> just, just there. Yeah. Anyway. So aside from that, I liked the fight. Uh, I thought it was, and I, I even liked her ejecting the the warp sled to take out a, a ship. I thought that was kind right. Of, kind of that was good. Interesting use of that technology. And, and the fact that it was equipped with a cloaking device, I like that. Oh. I mean. I did like that. Just because if you're gonna if you're gonna go into a suicidal mission like this, to have that kind of ace up your sleeve, that's smart. Yes, yeah, well, it's convenient also, but that's smart. Yeah, we didn't mention the cloaking. Yeah, uh, last issue because last issue they speculated that the reason why the Klingons could disappear and appear was maybe they have cloaking technology. And Scotty's like, oh no no no, we cracked that that nut a long time ago. That there's no way. And then in this one, they did indeed crack it because their shuttlecrafts have cloak capability. I didn't care for that. I mean, just because there's so much Star Trek lore after this that proves that they don't have cloaking technology and that the Klingons still have it and it still works. uh, You know, it's a little unfair to judge this book on something that we we know from afterwards, but I, I couldn't buy that one. Well, since they stole a cloaking device, 
And since they made the Enterprise disappear in the Enterprise incident, you know the Federation has cloaking technology. So, right. but they they don't use it, and they, I know, they don't but, put it on well, the shuttlecraft. And we, and as far as TV shows are concerned, we never saw it until uh, until after the Enterprise incident in Taws season mm-hmm. three, one of the better, like one of the only good episodes in season three, and then we didn't Helps. see it again. We didn't see it again until uh, Defiant, and that was Romulan cloaking. Yeah, that was a Romulan cloaking device, not well, a, a yeah. Klingon one. Well. But what I'm saying is that they work. Well, they they have cloaking technology in the next generation and in the movies. Yeah, the Klingons can cloak and be invisible. Yes. Yep. So. Yeah, and I you get, figured they probably got that from the Romulans. So it's probably all the same technology. That's right, because they used to trade <laughs> trade their ships out too. <laughs> yes. Yes. The Klingons are now you or the Romulans are now using Klingon designs. Well, that would make sense. So, the Romulans so got to use the ships, and they traded the for Romulans them. shared the technology. Uh, you you cracked I, that one. I I have no idea whether that's what it is, but I think anyway. Now I get I intergalactic think... uh, commerce. Thank you. Well, if they didn't break that Romulan model, we wouldn't have had justifications. Right. So, like I said, I get where this comic book's coming from in that there was that issue. They did cloak the Enterprise. Yeah. But just because I know that, you know, in Star Trek 3, Star Trek 4, and Star Trek 6, the Klingons still have usable cloaking technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, him saying that they can't, there's they no way they it. could use it because we know well, all their cloaking secrets. Well, it. And and I thought what Scotty meant by that is they can they can see through the cloak, right? I thought that's what he meant by when he said we but cracked we know it a long they time won't ago. Won't be able to in the future. They're well, one you think movie that's away what he was from not. I think that at this time, there that's what they that was supposed to be the norm that the, that there was no more cloaking because they can see it. But I'm just saying that in Star Trek Three we know they can't. Right. Well, I'm again, being, I'm being it, it picky. All, yeah, I know, and it all comes right back to whatever the story needs. Right. That's how it works. So, anyways, was it cool? Yes, that that the little ship had it, but was it my yeah. favorite part of the story? No, but just because. Well, it wasn't my favorite, but <laughs> I thought. I mean, I, I thought it was. Uh, yes, it's a little path that she had it, but if you were gonna go into a fight like this, you'd want to ace up your sleeve, and that I thought that was pretty cool ace, but. Right. So, if you're going to go into battle, which, you know, when she left the Enterprise, she had to have known there was going to be a fight coming because they didn't know what was on the other side of the wormhole. Right. Would you want your science officer piloting the ship? No. Or do you want no. a security officer that's been trained in dogfighting yep. and things yep. like that? Yeah, that's probably what you'd want. Right. And it wasn't like her sciences abilities her her that's where her strength is it's not like any of that came in handy no on this on this little mission this little soiree right. all you needed to have is somebody that knows how to work a, a transporter and you know preferably how to how to fly a shuttle in a fighter kind of mode right which is why i really liked in the, the later seasons of enterprise when they had the the marines on there the space marines oh right yeah which the really made sense yeah it's like, oh okay, yeah. yeah that makes sense to have that makes a ton of sense 
I mean, you have your security guys, you know, Malcolm's people, and that's fine. But, you know, if you know you're going to go into a, a fight, you know, have special forces on board. Right, right. Yeah. That was good. The Makos. But I don't think they did that much with them. I thought they could have done more with the Makos, personally, but... Yeah, they were this there to make Malcolm feel bad. <laughs> yeah, and also to be the uh, red shirts. Right. <laughs> they were the red shirts. That's right. But I did like their uh, their uniforms and their and their phasers were pretty good. So. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Um. So, what do you think of the artwork overall? The 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 people. Do they look like the actors? I think that the artwork was a product of its age, a product of its time. I mean, I think it's kind of old-fashioned. That's the, f- the first thing when I started reading these issues. I thought it was rather old-fashioned. And it was made in the 80s, so I guess that makes sense. I mean, the way the inking was done, everything's very dotty, and just the style of how people were drawn, I thought it was old-fashioned. I think there's plenty of panels where Kirk doesn't look right, and then looks some other younger. panels where he looks okay. Well, right. yeah, younger than he should. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you know Shatner was not that young by this point. Uh, of course, it's not as bad as, you know, <laughs> Star Trek VI. But uh, still, he looks quite young. And I think there's just inaccuracies. I mean, on the cover of the first issue, I think uh, the Shat was drawn like he was like kind of a boxer or something because he has a very a rather wide nose, wider than Shatner has. I thought that wasn't wasn't accurate. I've already pointed out the things that I thought was whacked about some of the ships that they drew. Um, And then in this issue even, they completely got the phasers wrong. There's this part where Bryce, page six, top of page 16. Oh, okay. Top of page 16 when Bryce has, uh, you know, uh, Kanam, the good Klingon, but she doesn't know he's good yet. She's got the gun in his face. And if you look at that, it's like it's it's the Wrath of Khan phaser, but it's backwards. It's backwards. Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And not only that, later on the same page, Kirk's has his phaser drawn and stuff too on Kanam, and that one's backwards too. It's like. Oh, wow, you, I didn't even notice. You're right. You you do know how phasers are configured, right? I mean, the handle's way forward, so the barrel doesn't go very much beyond the hand beyond the, beyond the fist right. but so did they make the conscious decision to turn it around and make it look like a more conventional gun because they thought most of the readers would accept that more easily or did they just plain get it completely backwards I'm going with completely backwards yeah because it, it's just not right and then the transparent thing on the back of the shuttle bay it's like <laughs> What, where'd that come from? Was well, it anyway, still transparent whatever. in this one? Um, I thought that it was... Uh, definitely in the first one. Definitely in the first one. I, yeah, uh, definitely in the first one. Um, w- it, this is the same uh, same artist, though, yeah, right? Yeah, right. They might have... Like somebody might, might have mentioned it to it. them? Yeah. It's like, you know, they don't have transparent aluminum uh, decks or uh, hatches on the shuttle And this being 1984, they were like, what's transparent aluminum? <laughs> yeah, we haven't quite gotten to uh, uh, Voyage Home. Voyage Home yet? There you go. Right. Anyways, overall, so I like think? I like it. I, I I mean, yes, I see your 
discrepancies, but uh, but as far as the actors and stuff, I think they look pretty good. I mean, you're right; it is a product of its time, so you, I, I give it a lot of leeway as far as coloring and things like that. It's not as vibrant as what we get now, but no. uh, but overall, I, I get it. I, I like it. Yeah. Cool. But I did not notice the the gun thing, the phaser thing. That's funny. Well, you know that's my thing. That's my thing. You I, know? That's your thing. I know. It's my thing. I, I I don't know why. I just that's my thing. So I really liked the uh, scene where McCoy's like pondering what Spock could have meant when he said "remember." Oh yeah, I really yep. liked that. Yeah. Because at the writing, at the time of the writing, Mike Mike W. Barr didn't know what that meant either. Well, do you know that? don't know that, but I'm guessing that. Because obviously when they wrote Wrath of Khan, they knew what their end was going to be to get Spock back. I mean, the Genesis device, the Remember thing, I mean, they knew what they were going to do in the next couple films. Right. And the, these comics were written, at, obviously, after Wrath of Khan, so they could have told him. Could have. <laughs> but. but I don't think that they talked all that much back then. Hmm. Do you? Do you think there was a lot of communication between uh, I, DC I Comics and Paramount at that time? I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe yes, maybe no. But I can say, even when I was younger and saw Wrath of Khan for the first time, and then they shoot Spock's body onto the Genesis planet, it was pretty obvious that was going to be the way Spock was going to get back. I mean... With the Remember thing? No, 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 I... I, I, I don't remember putting two and two together with that. Right, okay. But I do remember thinking, oh, that's kind of obvious. They're going to put Spock's body on the Genesis planet where everything's regrowing. It's like, well, that's kind of obvious. Anyway. Right. But no, the, I, don't, yeah, I don't remember putting that remember thing together back then. Anyway. Anyways, I liked it. I liked having it in here. Yeah, that was a good reference. A little foreshadowing of things to come. Anything else? I don't want to rush you, but... No, nothing else. Next. All right. Next up is Star Trek issue number three, entitled Errand of War. came out April of 1984. The writing and other credits are all the same. The cover shows the Enterprise flying towards the exploding Klingon space station, and the caption reads... Federation and Klingons, foes and friends. So the story starts with Kalis IV on his video transmission declaring war against the Federation. Once the communication is cut, Kalis demands to be alone. Once he is alone, a rocky-looking outline appears to come out of his body. Kalis seems to be arguing with it, and it tells the Klingon that he is just a puppet until the rock creature's plans are completed. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, Kirk contacts Admiral Turner to request permission to travel to Organia to see about getting help stopping this war. Turner refuses and instead orders the Enterprise to watch the Romulan border. Once the communication is cut from Kirk, Turner has a similar conversation with a rock-looking creature that's inside of him. While the Enterprise is en route traveling to the Romulan border, Bryce and the Klingon defector... Conum 
spend some time together in the gardens. Eventually, they are attacked by racist crewmen who are not able to accept a Klingon as anything other than a villain. The two are saved by some level-headed security guards who have to actually stun several people before the mob is stopped. Another communication comes in from Starfleet showing how the Klingons have destroyed a medical station and that the Federation has already retaliated by destroying a Klingon science station near the neutral zone. This is too much for Kirk, and he orders a course change to Organia at warp 12. Scotty tells the captain that he might be able to bump it up to warp 13. Once they get to Organia, they find that the whole planet is shrouded in blackness that seems to absorb all light and matter. It is like a black hole, but without the gravitational effects. Two Klingon vessels arrive, and they attack the Enterprise. One is destroyed, and the other is disabled. Kirk beams the crew from the disabled ship over, and it turns out to be commanded by Kor. Kirk and Kor talk in private about how the war makes no sense for either side. Suddenly, a huge rock creature arrives in the room and tells Kirk and Kor that they will not stop the course of events that have already started to be continued. Boy, that was a quick synopsis. <laughs> I try to make it brief. That's good. So, Hi. rock creatures. Rock creatures. That's right. I thought suddenly I was in Galaxy Quest. But... <laughs> yeah, what the heck's going on, man? I am I don't really know. confused. You know, uh, rock creature, Galaxy Quest... Ben Grimm. I don't know what's going on. But these things seem to be inside of the people, except for the last one, which just seems to manifest itself in front of Kor and, and Kirk. But all the other ones seem to be some sort of internal manifestation of something that's controlling Kalis and uh, right. Admiral Turner. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Dijin. From the Marvel thing a while back? Yeah. Now, of course, that was further in time. Uh, right, that wasn't right. That was part of volume two or whatever. Or no, no, that wasn't. That was uh, no, not, you... that was um, Wildstorm, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Wildstorm. That's much okay. later. But I'm just saying the idea that there is like an almost Q-like entity hanging oh, playing around, around with people, playing around with people and trying to manipulate events. It was kind of reminding me of that. Now I'm not saying that this rock creature is as, as powerful as Q or anything, but right. I'm just saying it reminded me of that. Is it one creature that's taken over both of the leaders of the main leaders of the uh, of this game, or is it like a whole race of rock creatures? I don't know. It's um, it's not know. clear, right? No, but he's very powerful, right? Yeah, and it's interesting that when you know both of the leaders, I guess they're they're fighting it the whole time. He's you know all, the whole time they're ordering these attacks. I guess the real Kalis and the real Turner is fighting them inside somehow mm -hmm. mentally and right. then they, as soon as he dismisses everybody then they can have this verbal sparring that, that we the reader can, can get in on right yeah I'm just really confused I don't know what's going on <laughs> <laughs> well yeah so they're trying to fight against it but they can't this thing's too powerful so and we yeah. don't know what's going on to Organia I mean how can they I'm assuming the rock creatures also have something to do with the, Completely. the black shroud over the planet but how exactly. does that work well and the organians are 
actually kind of Q-like, aren't they? I mean, yeah. they're incorporeal. They can alter time and space and manipulate matter in all these amazing, magical ways. Somebody's messing with them. <laughs> so I assume that the planet is behind that shield, that black shield or whatever that is. Right. So they got to get through that shield. But uh, whoever can do that is pretty powerful. Right. It definitely doesn't give you any clues as to what's going on, that's for sure. No. No. So, but that's good. I mean, that's what keeps you buying the next issue. So, Right. So, Warp 13? Warp 12? <laughs> wow, these guys are amazing. How did they not turn in salamanders? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was bad. Um, yeah, so, okay. Were they, in the movies, were they talking Warp double digits? I don't remember them talking double digit Warp in the movies. Were they? I don't think so. I don't think so either. It's like, where they, where they pull these numbers out of? But the old show did sometimes, right? Didn't, well, but didn't the not TV double show... digits. I thought they did. Well, I don't know. Well, maybe you're right. But I well, I know they got the whole thing a little more under control later. Right. But um, that's ridiculous talk. <laughs> but it's just a number. I mean, at this point, we well, don't I know, even it's know just what a warp number. was. Well, but, well, of course you knew what warp was. It was yeah, the warping of really... space. Yeah, but did you really know what the difference between warp 7 and warp five was i mean it was yeah seven was, was faster just... <laughs> come on it's a higher number so what, 11 should be what's faster there to know than that? <laughs> <laughs> but of course you can't go what uh, you can't go beyond nine is that it you can't go beyond yeah you can't get to 10 right right because double digits bad single digits good but that wasn't established till way later i know i know that but, but even in next generation the the last episode Crusher says that her her Pascal ship can go warp twelve or something ridiculous like that. No, did really? Yeah. So which I always thought was All weird because I thought, yeah. So I guess so, they so, were implying that in the future they cracked the uh, the warp ten threshold. That's that's I the way I always so. took it. I mean, if a hospital ship can go that fast, please. Right? Can you imagine how fast a a three nacelle Enterprise D can go? <laughs> Pretty doggone fast, man. <laughs> I mean, if they had the Stargazer with four nacelles, it's like three? Only three? Come on. Oh, it would just look silly with four. You should soup it up more. Why? Well, and that's probably part of the reason. It was how cool it would look, but... What they should have done is put the third nacelle on the saucer section. So that if they ever had to do a, a emergency separation, the saucer section could Would at least have even get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so enough of that. Yeah, so they uh, definitely uh, put forward a lot of interesting things here. What's interesting about this one, it's almost like another level of setup. So it's kind of like we've transitioned from the A story to the B story. So... The A story was very simple. It was just a question of, you know, the good old-fashioned Klingons found a way to get the advantage on the Federation, and they were pressing it. Okay, fine. But now it's grown into a totally different B story where we have some unknown entity that's pulling the strings on uh, both the Federation and the Klingons, and we've even mm -hmm. got the Organians pulled into it who appear to right. be powerless against this new entity. Right. So, yeah, it's good. 
I kind of like it, but again, it was a lot of setup. So we got to kind of have a lot of setup going on in the third issue. So you, so after you read this issue, were you more into the story because you said you didn't really oh, yeah. care for the first two issues? No, I didn't. The first one, the first one especially, I didn't think it was that big a deal. I mean, I thought I saw where this whole thing was going, and it was just like big yawn. Okay, fine, whatever. And then especially when it appeared as if the Klingons blew themselves up just because, you know, Kirk said so. <laughs> it was like, right. oh, my God. Oh, my God. But then the whole thing is just expanded into a much bigger story. I think that was actually much better. Yeah, I'm definitely curious. I don't yeah, know what the these thing... rock creatures are doing. Yeah, uh, just just don't disappoint me. Because you've... Mr. Barr, because you've definitely ratcheted up the stakes here, so. Right. Well, all the stuff we've read from Mike Mike Barr in the past have always been Yeah, it's been good. good. Well, that's why I was a little disappointed in the first issue. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was good, but it wasn't... It was kind of like, eh, been there, done that. So and you think I, it's funny... Or go ahead, what? No, no, go ahead, you talk. No, I was just going to... I was just going to say... <clears throat> Did you think it was funny that they that DC Comics hired Mike W. Barr to do this? Because he had already done like three episodes or three issues of the the original Marvel comic run. So yeah. it seemed a little odd that you know that they would bring a competitor from what really wasn't a very good comic book series. You know that motion picture era Marvel series wasn't all that great. Right. Um, and to have him get another shot and to be the, you know, to basically be in charge of the whole thing for the first two years of this, this new series. Oh, really? Is that yeah. what happened? He was well, the primary know. writer? He's he's going to write, he's going to be writing it until, you know, into the 20s, so pretty, mu- pretty much the first two years. Wow. Hmm. So. Well, I've had the impression that people do go back and forth. Right. Production staff to some degree. And some of these people you see, well, like like Matt Barr, popping up, just following along with the uh, franchise. So from that standpoint, I'm not so surprised. But yeah, I mean, if he actually did write the first 20-ish issues, that's that's quite an investment. So anyways, I think it'll be good. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Right. Reliving my youth. That's right, your youth. Yeah, I, I really was not familiar with these comics. So, Okay, well... That's really all I have to say here. I'm looking forward to uh, finding out more about these rock creatures in the next issue. So you're saying a short synopsis and a short wrap-up. Well, I, that's all I have to say. <laughs> what do you, well, okay, go ahead. You talk. Uh, I didn't really have anything either. <laughs> I, mean, the, <laughs> I mean, it was a, I mean, we've talked a lot about it. The, the whole shroud thing, I mean... I didn't go into a lot of it, but their phasers just disappeared inside of it. And when one of the Klingon vessels crash into it, and they say it's completely dissolved and absorbed right. at the molecular level. Right. It's, that's different. Yeah, well, it's you don't want to be touching it. You don't want to be touching that at all. So it's it's not only, I don't know, it seems like a very malevolent shield. Right. You know. Just seems like really nasty stuff. But then uh, I did like that core came back. If you're gonna have a, a Klingon come back from the old show, right? Core is the way to go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And what was it? Uh, he was like training or something, or he's semi-retired or something, and they. 
and Kalis called him back or whatever. Yeah, does it say that that he was retired? It was well, semi. Yeah. But yeah, he has the bumpy uh, head now, so... Well, exactly. So <laughs> I'm fascinated with that. He looks quite a bit different from the first run with the Organians. Right. But how appropriate that they have him here. Right. So as they pierce their way through and somehow is going to get past that shield and get in contact with the Organians, it's very interesting that's going to be these two guys that end up trying to uh, contact them. Right. So... I'm just going to point this out only because it's just comical where they stuck this ad. But if you're reading the book and Core and Kirk are having their conversation mm-hmm. um, on page 21, the last line on page 21 was computer run tape. So you would assume ah. the next panel is going to be a tape. So you look over to the opposite page of 21 yeah. and it's Sergeant Rock and he's exactly. talking about d-day and you know if you weren't paying attention that now you're reading an ad you'd be like what is this video <laughs> I, I know that he was about to show something about war but i wasn't expecting sergeant rock to show up exactly and then, and then hey it's ed mcmahon it's ed I'm mcmahon really... <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it's just kind of odd how how they decided to stick that ad right after the words com- exactly. computer run the file tape yeah oh i did not even notice that. <laughs> I thought that was good. Yeah. And then my last comment was uh, more about Bryce creature? and the Klingon. Oh. Nah, yeah, we, the romance. Yeah, so I guess they're supposedly falling in love, even though she wanted to kill him last issue because he was on the ship that killed her dad. Yep. Yep. But she seems to have forgiven him. You ain't kidding. And not only that, she's hot for him, which is amazing, because I don't really see these Klingons as being very attractive. Yeah, but they look cool. I do like I do like. Well, this. that's fine, but I mean, I'm talking about a, a lovely young thing getting the hots for somebody. I mean, look at these guys. I mean... She sees and said his soul, not his looks, dude. Well, quite frankly, he's kind of a she's wimp, so- isn't he? It's like, oh, oh, I, can't, I just can't stand to see my people killing people. Oh, it's like he's a whiner. I don't know. So he should just kill people and just... No, 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 no. Uh, but you don't have to be all whiny about it. Hmm. I think they're wrong in what they're doing. Rather than, oh, I just really can't stand it when we hurt people. <laughs> uh, okay, fine, whatever. As long as you're on our side, that's important. And then I thought, it was, I thought it was odd that Bear Claw was able to get everybody into this little mob mentality to attack right. attack them there in the um, well, atrium. Well, and yeah. But I also like the anti-propaganda message they had. So that's great. So basically it's the pro- propaganda that was being broadcast because of the compromised admiral. Um and they're they're fomenting uh, fomenting war with all this propaganda video and stuff. But they called it out, and multiple people calling it out, including the security guy. So I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. Recognizing it for what it truly is. Right. Now the rock guy isn't it funny how he's he's a rock guy. Now it's oddly enough that he's got like like six dots in his face, but he's got like claws. Just out of the blue, he's got two like bear claws. Not, not to have any relationship with the, uh, the ensign. Ensign bear claw. Exactly. 
So he's got these two little claws coming out of each each hand. It's like it looks odd, doesn't it? I mean, you're a rock guy, and you've got, you know, like claws coming out. He's got to dig through the dirt, so he's got to have claws. Makes sense to me. Oh God. I mean, <laughs> it, the claw is like, you know, that's that's like a living being kind of thing, like uh, not rock. I mean, See, you, the Telosians had claws, didn't they? They were kind of rockish. What? Not Telosians. Uh, I'm oh. thinking of uh, Tholians. I'm thinking oh, Tholians. Oh, Tholians. Um, do they have claws? Okay. Well, they do when we see them in Enterprise. Oh, good God. Like okay. little pincher claws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least they look like they're crystal too. Right. Yeah, no, these are like where. This, exactly. This looks like bone. This looks like it was from a living, organic life form, not from a rock guy. Anyway. Yeah. No. Now that you mention it, it it doesn't look quite right. I mean, it makes. But we don't look... know what, what we don't know what they're made out of. Well, we don't know, but they look like rock. I just right. think that they were like, you know, the rock guy looks cool and stuff, but he doesn't look threatening enough. Let's put bear claws on him, huh? <laughs> I think that's what he needs. Teeth? No, no, we got all the dots there. Don't, you can't do that. Let's, let's stick some claws on him. Okay. So it just seems random. Right. I hear you. Okay. So now and as far as as far as ads go in this one, I love all the Masters of the Universe stuff. Oh God. Because again, I was I was a kid. I was eating this stuff up. Yep, when I was yep. Oh, Masters boy. of the Universe. Come on, you had. Barbarianism and science fiction all mixed up together. It was great. Yeah, well, I was in college and I really was not much. Of course I just not. didn't get that. I just didn't get it. I knew I was aware of it being in existence, but I just thought it looked kind of stupid. Because you weren't a kid. I know, I know, I know. If you were a nine year old kid, you'd be just eating this stuff up. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. All right. So next week we're going to do issues uh, four, five, and six. So maybe we'll get to the end of the rock creature debacle. <laughs> debacle. <laughs> yes. Right. Well, in one of those, I mean, one of those definitely will be the end. This can't be like more than six issues. So. Do you know that for a fact? Well, I no, I don't know it for a fact. But come on. Okay. okay we'll we'll, we'll find out. We'll find, we'll find out. out. I'm looking forward to the mystery. It's the mystery that will be unveiled next week. Cool. Excellent. All right. Then uh, that's it. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starT comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name Book Review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here